the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's time to sit back, relax, and listen to Conversations with Joan. Conversations with Joan will inspire, motivate, and empower you. Live your best life now. Listen, learn, think, and decide. And now, here's your host, Joan Herman. Conversations with Joan. I'm Joan Herman. Thanks for tuning in. Conversations with Joan focuses on topics that are important to your life, from health and wellness to professional development to personal well-being. Changemakers join me to share their insights, tips, and strategies so you can thrive and live your best life now. Thank you for taking time for yourself, and thank you for letting us be a part of your life. Now, let's start talking. In April 1942, Lali Zakhalov was forcibly transported to the concentration camps at Auschwitz. When his captors discovered that he spoke several languages, he was put to work as a tattooist, tasked with permanently marking his fellow prisoners. Imprisoned for over two and a half years, Lali witnessed horrific atrocities, but he also witnessed incredible acts of bravery and compassion. Risking his own life, he used his privileged position to exchange jewels and money from murdered Jews for food to keep his fellow prisoners alive. Joining us today is Heather Morris, the writer that Lolly chose to tell the story. Heather is the author of The Tattooist of Auschwitz. Welcome, Heather. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. Lovely to be talking to you. Heather, this is such a heartbreaking story that you're about to share. You wrote about things that no human being should ever have to experience, when did you first meet Lolly, and how did you come to be involved with the writing of this book? Um, first of all, it was a screenplay for about 12 years, because I had been studying how to write screenplays. Mm-hmm. Then I chose to have a cup of coffee with a friend of mine at the beginning of December 2003, and while having a cup of coffee, she casually said to me, I have a friend whose mother has just died, and his father has asked him to find somebody he can tell a story to. That person couldn't be Jewish, and she knew I wasn't Jewish, and so she asked me, would I like to meet him? And I said yes, not knowing what it was I was going to hear. So, Heather, tell us about Lolly. What was he like? When I first met him, his wife, Gita, the love of his life for over 60 years, had just died. He was grief-stricken. He wouldn't lift his eyes above the floor. And for several weeks when I visited him, two to three times a week, he just was telling me rambling stories with with no connections, always about the love story, this beautiful girl that he had married. And I started to get to the point, well, are we going to get anything out of this other than a lovely love story? And then one day he said to me, did you know I was the Tatavera? And I had to say no, because I didn't know what the Tatavera was. Mm -hmm. And then he explained it to me. And I went, oh my goodness, I'm sitting with living history. And so at that point, we started talking a little bit more about what it was he was doing as the Tatavera. And slowly, slowly, he stopped saying how he wanted to be with Gita. He started unburdening and he started unraveling this amazing story of his role in Auschwitz-Birkenau. And I will set this spellbound. Heather, what was life like as a prisoner? Shocking, terrible. I can tell you that I'm actually talking to you from Krakow in Poland right now. Uh-huh. Three hours ago, I was in Auschwitz, walking around where Lely had been. There is nothing good about that place, nothing. Now, his life as a prisoner was a little bit easier than for many, many others. He was a privileged prisoner because of the role he had. And while he was doing that job well, then he would be kept doing the job. Now, what being privileged meant to him was it gave him freedom of movement. That was a huge thing to have. 
It meant he could be in the women's camp. He could be anywhere in the men's camp. He could be anywhere in Birkenau or Auschwitz. Nobody, well, if they did challenge him, he just reminded them who he was. And it was expected he was there to do work. That enabled him to get from the young girls who were working in the buildings. They called them the Canada, where they would smuggle him jewels and money. He befriended local villagers who came into the camp to work every day. You know, that was one of the things that really struck me. There were people who came into that camp who lived outside and worked Monday to Friday, nine to five. A job, just like that. And Lily befriended them. And for a two-carat diamond, they would bring him a loaf of bread and some sausage the next day. And for some American dollars. And he said he had them. They would then come back with maybe some chocolate. And he distributed that around the camp. So that was his role when he wasn't working, was running a black market. And he did it very well until he got caught. And he was taken to the penal unit and kept there for six weeks. And I have the document outlining him being taken there and being beaten. We do not know why he got returned back to Birkenau and, and wasn't taken like so many men in the penal unit were and just shot. He was the cat with nine lives. What was his job? You kept saying his work. What was he responsible for doing? Every day, day and night, transports of Jewish people from all around Europe were coming into Birkenau. It was being constructed. At one point, I was told they had over 90,000 people living there. Now, as more came in, they just killed the others. He would stand with either the SS or a medical person as those trains and those trucks were unloaded. And as they walked past the person doing the selection, with a flick of a wrist, they either went to the left or to the right. Go to the left, come to Lully. He actually called them the lucky ones. He got to number them. And as far as he was concerned, that meant they would see the sun come up tomorrow and maybe the next day and maybe the next week. By being numbered, by being tattooed, you stood a chance. If that wrist put you to the right, then you were taken immediately to die. So that was his role, standing there beside those and watching thousands of people every day being sent to the right and to their death. How do you think the experiences that you just shared shaped him into the man that he was. I mean, what you just described is something that no human being should ever have to witness. No, and look, this the terrible thing, and I was reminded by a guide this morning in Auschwitz, that all the dirty work in those camps was carried out by prisoners. The SS just walked around with their, their weapons and threatened them or shot them and you know, guarded them. They did none of the dirty work. How did it shape him? He saw dying men sacrificing themselves so others could live. And he played a role in that many times, changing numbers on men so that one who knew that they weren't going to survive because they were too ill would go to the gas chamber while a younger, healthier person then was given another chance at life. And he would say to me, don't you ever trust your government. Politicians will never save you. You use your neighbor, your friend, your brother. It's only man that will save you mankind and he saw so many examples of that and what he took from it was and he taught me the lesson never judge and don't be judging or judge yourself and to him if you woke up in the morning it was a good day and you owed it to yourself and anyone around you to try and do something each day and he lived his entire life like that you know if he didn't go out during the day and I would pop in and see him, and I'd say, did you go out? And he said, no, I never did, so come for a walk with me. And I'd go for a walk with him and his two dogs, and he would find a stranger to smile at. And then he'd say, no, we can go home. I've done something. He understood the importance of being grateful. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, the whole notion of being lucky is something that he and every Holocaust survivor I ever met said that's what they were. We were lucky. You know, we had the wrist flick to the left. Or, or we got given some extra rations just when we thought that we couldn't go on another day. Or we met somebody and they held me and they cuddled me and they told me it'll be all right. And so they went on another day. Luck. That's what they called it. 
And it shows you that even in the darkest moments, there can be love, there can be light. Mm-hmm. This place was almost like a community, you know. They were reaching out to each other. They were people just doing what they could to help somebody else who they thought was not going to survive, that was struggling. He saw that every day. I met many people for whom that was their, their reality too, and particularly the girls for whom intimacy, that, that cuddle which girls can more regularly give to each other. And speaking to not only Gita, listening to her tape, but one of her friends who's still alive in, in Sydney and whose 95th birthday I'll go to in a few weeks' time. She said all we could do in our blocks each night was to see the people who were so unwell they weren't going to make it and make sure that they were held while they died. You mentioned that he met the love of his life, Gita. It was during this time, wasn't it? Yes. The quick background to who Lally was, you asked about who he was afterwards, who he was before is an incredible story. He was a 26-year-old man in Slovakia with a good job. He was a playboy. He was a lover man. He said, I had so many girlfriends. He said, I dated all the time and I bedded all the time. Mm-hmm. And so for that man who, to him looking immaculate was how he presented himself, to then hold the arm of an 18-year-old girl dressed in rags and her head shaven and unbathed, squeeze her arm, look into her eyes and have her look back into his. And he told me 60 years later, I knew in that second I would never love a mother. Yes. Unbelievable that such a person could be uh, smitten just like that. And they both survived. They both survived and... uh, they didn't know that they both had, obviously, because their departures from Auschwitz were both very different. Gita's on a death march. You watched her go. Every woman in Birkenau marched out in January of 45 into the snow, and he wasn't to know. Took her six weeks of hiding in the forest in the odd home in and around Krakow, where I am right now. Uh-huh. I can't drive past the forest here and look into them and wonder, is that where you were, Gita? Is that where you ran? But she did. She survived, and he said, I knew she had survived. And so he went looking for her when he got back to Slovakia too. And while he was looking for her, she found him. Heather, why do you think this story resonates with so many people? I think we've kind of worked it out. I have not written the story of the Holocaust. I have just written a Holocaust story. And while the many, many books out there, and and we need many, many more folks, talk about the Holocaust and its totality, and six million Jews died, one million plus in Auschwitz alone. These are huge numbers. These are faceless numbers that people can't relate to. I'm told by people, children as young as 13, I can relate to your man. I can relate to one. Well, I can't relate to six million. And so I think that's my belief and my take from all the people I've been speaking to. Everybody likes a good love story. Mm-hmm. But they like a story where they can relate to the main protagonist as well. The book is The Tattooist of Auschwitz by Heather Morris. If you would like to learn more about Heather or the book, you can visit heathermorris.com.au. Heather, in our final moments... What life lessons can be found from this story? To Lali and to me now, the, the, the lesson that everyone should take on board, and this is right now very, very pertinent to what's just happened in your country. Mm-hmm. Do not judge. You don't have the right to judge somebody else just because they're different to you. And I'm not talking about religion. I'm talking about race, creed, color, sexual orientation, whatever. Do not judge, lest you be judged. And if you wake up in the morning, it's a good day. Heather, thank you so much for being here and for sharing this story. Mm -hmm. As you said, when you sat with him, you were sitting with history, and and now I feel like I've been part of of something extremely important. It's a universal story, and more than ever today... We shouldn't judge. We we need to unify, and, and we need to 
love one another and, and be part of a community. And I think this story is a wonderful reminder of what we all need today. So thank you for being here. Honored to be talking to you. And look what you do in reaching out to the people in your community. That, um, that to me is just so humbling to be speaking to somebody like yourself. This is Conversations with Joan. Stay with us. We'll be right back. How much can the right foods do for you? A lot more than weight control. The right foods can increase your energy, improve your outlook, and strengthen your body's natural defenses. What foods can do all that? Primo Health Solutions will show you using metabolic typing. This remarkable program lets your body tell you what it needs to work best. Call them today at 347-903-7030. That's 347-903-7030. Or go to PrimoHealthSolutions.com. Using metabolic typing, Primo Health Solutions will let your body work best. Imagine running your own business that generates seven figures in revenue. If this sounds like something you'd like to achieve, then join me on Wednesday, December 12th for a special Conversations with Joan event, Building a Million Dollar Business. My guest will be Elaine Pofelt, a writer for Forbes.com. Elaine will explain how to identify, launch, and grow a high-revenue earning business. She'll discuss why this is a good time to start a business, the challenges entrepreneurs face, the top categories for earning seven figures, and how to get on track to achieve high earnings. The event will be held at the Raphael Center in Clifton, New Jersey. For more information, visit cyacyl.com slash conversations. I hope to see you there. Let's start talking. Calm, vitality, mindfulness. We all want them, but they seem so hard to attain. Escape the stress and frenzy of the city streets. New York Open Center offers courses, trainings, and a vibrant community to help you start your journey for a more balanced and healthy life. Visit our website at opencenter.org for more information. Stop by our cafe and bookstore for all your wellness needs. Find your center at 30th and Madison. Soul by Rain is produced from various seed flowers. Its primary ingredients hail from the black cumin seed and the black raspberry seed. These two combine to provide a powerful antioxidant barrier against the devastating effects of stress. Soul by Rain has been hailed as one of the most important anti-aging antioxidants ever discovered. Soul is an anti-inflammatory and it helps prevent and repair radical damages for a healthier heart. Get your soul by calling your rain partner, Elmina Ziza, at 973-722-1154. Retired pro ice hockey player Brian Bickle, who is here to discuss his journey with multiple sclerosis. Joining us in the conversation is Dr. Timothy Vartanian, an MS expert. Welcome, Brian and Dr. Vartanian. Thank you for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having us on. Brian, very quickly, tell us about your hockey career. Where did you play and for how long? Um, I played my whole life. I started when I was five, and then, um, you know, my professional career uh, started in. 2008, um, I got drafted by the Blackhawks, uh, Chicago Blackhawks in 04, and then I made that jump to pro when I was 20 years old. Played for 10 years, um, nine years with uh, the Blackhawks, and then I got traded to Raleigh, um, North Carolina, the Carolina Hurricanes, and that's when um, you know I found out the news about MS and then kind of had a finisher there. So as an athlete who took care of his body, what did this news do to you? Um, you know, it set me back quite a bit. Um, you know, there was a lot of questions about what was going on um, before my, you know, diagnosis. It was, um, you know, why it was my game, I guess, slipping in a different way. Um, and then I had symptoms that, uh, you know, told me, I'm like, well, this is something different than any of my other injuries. Um so then I got looked at and then found out the news that uh, obviously it hurt me as a, a person and as my career. But, um, you know, me and my wife have moved on um, in a positive way to, you know, there's, I always had a saying, there's life during hockey and there's life after hockey. And my my hockey career was, uh, you know, shortened, but, um, you know, we're working on uh, the life after hockey and helping out others and motivating and inspiring a lot of people. 
Dr. Vertanian, what causes MS? Well, we don't know uh, exactly what causes MS. We know that there is a um, genetic uh, component and a very, very strong environmental component. Um, the genes that might predispose one to MS are, are, are well known. Um, however, the environmental component uh, remains mysterious. So Brian was just saying that he noticed his game was off and he had noticed some things that were occurring within his life and in, in his body. So what are some of the signs and symptoms that people should be looking for? Um, because MS uh, affects the central nervous system, the brain and spinal cord, um, really almost any, any symptom can occur. Um, commonly, blurred vision, double vision, weakness, numbness, difficulty with balance or coordination um, might be presenting symptoms. And they can come on over a period of a day or several days, last for weeks, and then uh, then get better. I think the, the hard part is that um, is not just the symptoms, but the unpredictable nature of when these symptoms might occur. And the fact that this illness uh, impacts people um, really in their their prime of their life when they're just getting started in their 20s, 30s, and 40s. Doctor, is there any way to prevent it? I mean, looking at Brian's life, he was an athlete and assuming he took very good care of himself. So what could we be doing to prevent MS? Um, to prevent it is a, is a great question. Uh, and I, I don't think we have anything that we could say will absolutely prevent MS from occurring because we don't really understand what causes it. Um, however, there are things that one can do to reduce risk um, and to uh, and to improve outcomes. Um, so, uh, so for instance, smoking uh, will increase your risk of MS. Um, obesity increases the risk of MS. Um, there are uh, low vitamin D levels. I think are probably one of the most important. So, I guess if you were going to try to prevent MS, you would do everything to uh, encourage a healthy lifestyle, good nutrition, uh, exercise, uh, no smoking, and, uh, and then taking supplemental vitamin D. So, doctor, when someone hears those words, when they get that diagnosis, what are the treatment options available? There, uh, so when someone gets that diagnosis, it is, uh, you know, it's a sledgehammer, um, unfortunately. And, uh, and, you know, everyone faces adversity. I, I think uh, MS uh, in particular is a really, you know, heavy and impactful adversity for a young person to have to, uh, to, have to deal with. But uh, it's really their response to that adversity that I think makes the biggest uh, difference. And you take someone like Brian, Brian and Amanda, he has, uh, you know, I, I wish Brian didn't have MS. I wish no one had MS, but Brian has um, worked hard to, uh, to embrace a healthy lifestyle, good nutrition. Uh, obviously, he exercises. And he's also doing these kinds of things, which I, I think has a positive impact on his life. He's, he's helping others. And, and, and that's, you know, just a, a, a great thing for him to do for MS. Brian, you mentioned that you look at your life now after MS. What advice would you give to those who are living with relapsing MS? Um, I think just to stay positive. Um, you know, finding out the news is obviously tough, but, um, you know, for me to have a, a positive mental um, state of mind was, um, you know, definitely helped me, you know, get back on the ice, get back uh, to living my life. Um, you know, there's, a, I always say there's a path, there's a, you can turn left, you can turn right, and, um, you know, we, for me, I, I always try to people motivate people and push them to go the right way and um that's what uh i did and you know with the the spotlight on me and i hope i can you know open a lot of eyes and and realize uh, you know people there's more people with ms than you really think i didn't really know much about it at the, at the time but um you know now with all the people that i'm helping and, and things like that that's what uh you know drives me doctor where can our listeners go for more information um, there are many uh, websites uh, where where people can get information. I think the National Multiple Sclerosis Society is particularly good um, because they're extraordinarily knowledgeable um, and they keep things up to date in terms of uh, nutrition, exercise, treatments. Uh, 
So that's a, a great website. I think Brian uh, has his own website, which I think would be quite beneficial for people to look at. Yeah, um, me and you know, Biogen, we've been, we were working together the last uh, year and so. Um, we put a website that is Bickle, or sorry, teambickle.com. Um, it kind of tells my story where, you know, I started to where I am now and what's coming. Um, you know, definitely check it out, teambickle.com, to get more information. Brian and Dr. Vartanian, thank you so much for joining us. Brian, I know you will be inspiring many people who are dealing with different types of challenges in life, and your work really does make a difference. And, Doctor, I'm grateful that you were here to provide us with this information. Thank you. We'll be right back. Doesn't it feel like flu season lasts forever? It starts in October, peaks from December through February, and lasts until May. Of course you can get the flu at any time, but it is heightened during those months. So is there something you could do now to avoid getting the flu? Hi there. My name is Jackie Klein, owner of Jackie Klein Nutrition. The most basic step you can take to avoid getting the flu is washing your hands with soap and water frequently throughout the day. This is the simplest thing you can do to avoid getting sick in general. Second, make it a point to get the appropriate amount of sleep each night. When we sleep, our body has the ability to heal and repair, which is necessary for a strong immune system. Eating a colorful diet rich in fruits and vegetables will ensure you are getting vitamin C along with other antioxidants throughout the day, which will help in fighting off infection. And drinking plenty of water or warm herbal teas, it's not only important for hydration, but also important for flushing the system of unwanted invaders. If you would like more information on fighting the flu or for immune-boosting recipes, please visit my website, JackieKleinNutrition.com. My role as an insurance broker is and must always be to help as many people as I can. But that only happens when I can break through the barriers that hold people in indecision and inaction. When someone is unable to move forward, I can help them get what they want and more importantly need, which leaves them less protected for when the unknown occurs. Hi, I'm Ed Gaelic, a life and health insurance broker and founder of PSI Consultants located in Glenrock, New Jersey. We have specialized in personal insurance and company-sponsored health benefits since 1985. A successful life and health broker helps individuals and business owners protect what's most important to them, their families, assets, businesses, and employees. It's my job to get those people stuck to a higher level of awareness to uncover what's keeping them from making a decision. Recently, I had been speaking with a young business owner about life and disability insurance. His wife just had a baby, and they were motivated to get him insured. Our many phone calls, emails, three separate meetings just couldn't get him to move forward. And after many months, I eventually uncovered the reason for his reluctance. He was deathly afraid of needles. So his indecision was based on a fear without knowing if there were alternatives. When I know the truth, I can begin to solve problems and in this case was able to negotiate a substantial amount of coverage for both life and disability insurance without a blood test. Many people have their own story. Exposing the reasons for indecision is one of the most important things I can do. It's always about what's best for a client and how we'll get them there. And there's almost always a way. To contact us and learn more, please visit our website, psi-consultants.com. Many of us see ourselves as highly independent, able to handle any challenges that come up without others' assistance. But it's only when we join with others to work towards common goals that our quality of life increases exponentially. Hi, I'm Susan Greif, an expressive and healing arts facilitator and founder of Art Men's Hearts. I harness the power of creative expression to help clients release old stuck energy that keeps them feeling panic, powerless, paralyzed, and in pain. Prehistoric women relied on community for survival, and that remains true today. Forming conscious communities for greater good of all is more important than ever today. Tap into the enormous reserves of positive energy by making it a point this week to do three things to strengthen your sense of community. One, identify the communities in your life, your neighborhood, school, congregation, work. Two, notice the self-care that community members receive, such as good feelings, helpful information, and mutual appreciation and respect. Three, brainstorm with others to help you get the support you need to reach your goals. For more information on how the healing arts can release old stuck energy, visit artmensheartscom
Imagine running your own business that generates seven figures in revenue. If this sounds like something you'd like to achieve, then join me on Wednesday, December 12th for a special Conversations with Joan event, Building a Million Dollar Business. My guest will be Elaine Pofelt, a writer for Forbes.com. Elaine will explain how to identify, launch, and grow a high-revenue earning business. She'll discuss why this is a good time to start a business, the challenges entrepreneurs face, the top categories for earning seven figures, and how to get on track to achieve high earnings. The event will be held at the Raphael Center in Clifton, New Jersey. For more information, visit cyacyl.com slash conversations. I hope to see you there. Let's start talking. This is WNYM, Hackensack, New Jersey, New York City. to Conversations with Joan. I'm Joan Herman. Thanks for staying with us. My next guest, Michael Walsh, provides a caregiver support platform that guides working caregivers and families as they plan for and manage the care of their loved ones. Michael is the CEO of Caraloop, a digital health company based in Dallas, Texas. Welcome, Michael. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me, Joan. Good to be here. So, Michael, being a caregiver is probably one of the hardest and most challenging roles a person can take on. I went through it twice in my life with both of my parents. I shared the role with my mother when my father was sick, and I was the sole caregiver for my mother. And this was about eight years ago. So what are some of the challenges that caregivers face today? Yeah, it's a really good question. And it's it's something that if you haven't ever experienced this before, like you just mentioned, Joan, with your own family, mm-hmm. it's sometimes it can be hard to wrap your mind around re- really what you go through as a caregiver. Because if you think about it, uh, especially if you're taking on the role of a caregiver for parents, grandparents, spouses, siblings, in-laws, things like this. I mean, most of these folks have jobs. They have families of their own that they're trying to to balance and juggle. So um, some of the uh, statistics that we're starting to see come out of groups like AARP, the National Business Group on Health, Genworth Financial, MetLife, all talking about just how much time during the workday this starts to chew up. Some studies saying it's going to chew up 15 to 20 hours of your week and that you're going to be doing this for sometimes an average of four years. So certainly trying to balance all the different things that you're trying to accomplish for yourself and your own family, let alone now you have to take on this role of, of a caregiver, uh, certainly could be a challenge. And what starts to happen over the long run, Joan, is that from a health and wellness standpoint, you're spending so much time doing this that you start not taking as good a care of, of yourself. Right. You stop going to doctor's appointments, dentist appointments. You you stop going home and grilling chicken and asparagus and you grab fast food instead. Like it's just these little things that, that start to add up over time, really start to affect the overall financial and emotional well-being of that caregiver as well. So uh, it's hard. And I mean, I guess uh, just to punt it back to you, I mean, you said you did this with both parents. I mean, does this seem true and accurate to you based on your own experience? It does because the let's talk about the second time when it was primarily myself, when I was doing it alone for my mother, I was the mother of two children and I was a wife. And so I was trying to juggle taking care of my mother um, for as long as I could. And then I actually had to bring on help, but I would take care of her. And that meant doctor visits and personal care and, you know, and everything that went along with that. Then I would run home and I would try to help my kids with their homework and cook dinner and, and take care of the house. And on top of that, I was doing freelance work, which gave me a little bit more freedom than someone having to go to a nine to five job, but I still had deadlines there. So all of the things that I experienced lead to something that you were beginning to describe, which is caregiver burnout. And so what are some of the signs of caregiver burnout? Yeah, it's going to manifest itself in different ways, because like you just mentioned, even with your own story, everybody's situation is unique. Uh, You know, we see situations where you've got one caregiver taking everything on by themselves. And so, you know, the immediate signs, of course, are that they're not showing up to work on time or they're constantly late or exhausted because they're shouldering everything on their own. Uh, Another example is, is that we see this a lot as well, is where you've got, you know, many family members, you've got lots of cooks in the kitchen who want to be a part of this and trying to manage the family dynamics that come with that, create a whole different kind of stress, (laughs) as you can imagine, trying to uh, keep your brothers, sisters, and everybody else happy and informed as to what's going on uh, can certainly lead to a lot of caregiver burnout where you're having to constantly be communicating updates to everybody. 
so, I mean, it all kind of leads in the same general direction as far as just the added stress that it puts on you from a, an emotional and financial point of view. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's certainly why we got into the business we did, just to be able to, uh, you know, offer a platform, offer a service that caregivers and families didn't have to try and decipher and figure this all out by themselves anymore. So, Michael, let's talk about some of the strategies that family members and caregivers can implement, and then we'll follow up with some of the options that are available. Yeah, as far as some strategies you can implement, I mean, and some of these, Joan, will seem fairly obvious, but you can imagine the stories that we see and hear day in, day out. Um, And while they should be obvious, most people don't do these things. Something as simple as just as a family uh, getting together and having the conversation from a financial legal standpoint about what the future holds. You know, do does the family have a living will in place? Are there directives? Who's the medical power of attorney? You know, when the fire drill happens, if there's some sort of medical event for a loved one where the family's scrambling, these are the questions that a lot of uh, hospitals, doctors are going to ask you. And if you've never had the conversation before, um, you're already trying to manage the stress of taking care of a loved one's health. Now suddenly you have to figure out the finances and the legal piece of it right there standing in the hospital. So simply starting to have those conversations, and those are some things that, again, like we can help you with. There's lots of resources online as well that you can reference. Being able to, as a family, effectively communicate. I talked about you know the situation where you've got family members scattered everywhere. Uh, we have found over the course of time of doing this, Joan, that most caregivers spend almost just as much time communicating back to everybody about what's going on as opposed to actually being there for the loved one they're caring for. So having a good communication plan and clear roles around who's doing what, when, where, how, and why certainly can help reduce some of that stress and that guilt of maybe we didn't do a good enough job of kind of communicating back to everybody about what was going on or we didn't meet some of their expectations. So some of these just basic things, again, while they seem obvious, Uh, could make a huge difference in the long run as you go on this journey. So, Michael, you've been saying as a family, and in a perfect world, people are able to work together in a constructive way. But what about when siblings or family members argue or they're not able to agree? I'm sure you've seen that occur. What advice do you offer to those family members to manage that type of situation? Yeah, the best advice, and I will I will try to make this sound as not self-serving as possible, but it's, it's just such an asset to have a independent third party that can really help mentor and guide the family down this path. Uh, you know, we like to say that, you know, in, in the world today, when you're making complex legal decisions, most people bring in an attorney, right? Mm-hmm. When you're making complex financial decisions, you have a banker, a wealth manager, a financial advisor. When you're making complex healthcare decision, you know, most people are turning to their doctor, right? Well, uh, doctors, it's, it's, they're not easily accessible all the time. And so, especially when you have to make decisions very quickly as a family, uh, you need to have that counsel. You need to have that, that, that navigator, that guide. So uh, that's, that's certainly a huge component of this, is making sure that you've got the right information and you're making good, sound decisions in the long run. So, Michael, tell us about Caraloop, what services you provide, and then also, if you would, please give us some links or some agencies that people can also reference if they're going through this situation. Yeah, absolutely. So, real quick on Caraloop, um, we were uh, we're based here in Dallas, as you mentioned at the beginning. We've been around now for about six years, uh, and we provide what we call the world's first human-powered caregiver support platform. Uh, really cool tool that combines a HIPAA-compliant, cloud-based application that you can use on your PC, Mac, tablet, or smartphone uh, with a professional healthcare coaching service built into the application where caregivers and families uh, have access to their very own nurse or social workers through this app that really helps to guide them down this path and help them make decisions and remove barriers as they're trying to piece together the health and medical, the legal, the financial, the medication management, the transportation, the food delivery services, just all these things that you need to to arrange as a caregiver. Uh, Our coaches help you coordinate uh, all those different activities through this app. Uh, So really cool tool, totally changes the experience of what you're going through when you're you're caring for somebody. Um, And as far as resources that are out there, you know, uh, AARP has been a phenomenal voice in, in this arena the last couple of years. You're starting to hear a lot of commercials come out from them on uh, some of the, the, the content and the videos and the work that they're doing in this space. So certainly ARP is a good one to look at. Uh, if 
someone listening is working more on the corporate America side of things and looking at this uh, in terms of what this does to your employees, uh, the National Business Group on Health uh, has put out a lot of literature and done some studies on this recently that have a, a lot of great content and demographic analysis and uh, really just good content for, for benefited administrators and folks in HR and total rewards to consider as they think about taking care of their, their people. Michael, thank you so much for being here with us. If our listeners would like to get more information about Caraloop, you can visit Michael's site, caraloop.com. That's C-A-R-I-L-O-O-P.com, caraloop.com. Michael, this conversation is so important to have because, as I said, being a caregiver can be one of the most rewarding times in your life, but it can be also Mm -hmm. one of the worst times of your life. So as you said, it's important for all of us to be prepared, to have the necessary conversation, and to reach out for help because we don't have to go it alone. So thank you for being here and for sharing this really important, life-changing information with us. Absolutely. Thanks, Joan, for having me. This is Conversations with Joan. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Have you suffered a bad breakup and are finding it hard to move on? Hi, I'm Julianne Cantarella, matchmaker, dating coach, and owner of New Jersey's Matchmaker. I work with commitment-minded singles, helping them to totally transform their love lives by taking the mystery and confusion out of dating so they can create the relationship they desire and deserve. As a relationship expert for over 13 years, I know that no one escapes pain and sadness. That said, if you've suffered a bad breakup and want to move forward but are struggling, here are some tips to help you move on. Tip number one is to reestablish lost friendships. All too often when we get involved in a romantic relationship, we lose our connection with friends. While friends typically understand, this is a great time to reconnect and rebuild your support system. Tip number two is to reclaim your interests. Maybe it was yoga, cycling, or painting. Now is the time to start engaging in those activities. And very often, a wonderful byproduct is an increase in your network and a way to potentially meet someone new. And my third tip might sound surprising, but take that leap and start dating again. Don't view it as you're looking for a relationship per se, but more that you are dipping your toe back into the dating pool, flexing your dating muscle, and meeting new people. Don't have any preconceived expectations. Just take it one step at a time and look at it as a new beginning. Are you interested in learning more ways to totally transform your love life and create the relationship you desire and deserve? Then connect with me, Julianne Cantarella, at NewJersey'sMatchmaker.com. Are you discounting the power of your voice? Hi, I'm Suzanne Tregenza Moore, business coach, online marketing strategist, and creator of the Socialize, Mesmerize, Monetize system. I work with entrepreneurs and small business owners to convert more prospects into sales. As entrepreneurs and marketers, we spend a lot of time and energy on marketing to large groups of people. We send emails, we place advertising, and we develop social media campaigns. One thing too many small business marketers are forgetting is the power of their own voice in reaching out to potential clients and customers. It used to be that picking up the phone was the only way to do business. Today, the pendulum has swung a little too far in the opposite direction. As marketers, we've forgotten to use our personal voice. There is no better way to transition a prospect to a client than speaking directly to him or her. And the best way to do that is simply by picking up the phone and calling. Don't forget that when you speak to someone or leave them a voicemail, You are able to convey through tone and inflection sincerity and concern for their needs in a way that trumps even the best marketing copy. Use your voice more often and you'll see your business thrive. Interested in more advice about reaching out to prospects? Connect with me at SuzanneTMoore.com. We all know life can be stressful. We live in a do-it-all now or have-it-all-now world. You may already know that stress can wreak havoc on your health. Did you know stress can also wreak havoc on your skin? Chemical response to stress makes your skin reactive and more sensitive. Hormone production is increased and your glands produce more oils. It can flare up rosacea, eczema, and psoriasis. It can also cause rashes and trigger fever blisters. Your life may never be stress-free. However, you can manage it. Your health and skin will be better when you do. Here are some key ways to de-stress. You must make time for yourself. Schedule me time in your calendar. Start with the three M's. Meditate, move. Move to your favorite exercise. Music, 
Listen to what calms your soul. In addition, get at least seven to eight hours of restful sleep a night. Avoid any electrical devices at least an hour before bed. Even if it's only 10 to 15 minutes, take a break every few hours. Lastly, remove the toxic, stressful people from your life. If you can't remove them totally, at least minimize the time spent with them and don't allow them to be in your head when you're not with them. If you would like to know more or have a free personal consultation, please contact me, Joanne Ferrari, your nationally recognized leader in anti-aging at 908-581-9254. Hi, doctor. Hello, business owner. Hey there, freelancer. Whose holidays is it anyway? Not a great sentence, but it is a true question. The public talks about the holidays, but we business owners know them as Q4, a very busy season for us when we make or break our revenue and profit goals for the year. This is my 15th Q4 in the cash flow industry, and I've learned that Q4 is the best quarter of the year to get paid. As your debtors prepare for the holidays, they cash out Christmas or holiday clubs, or they may receive their annual work bonus. A smart plan to protect your profits is having a diplomatic third-party intervention system in place to connect with debtors. But it's more than that, since business owners personally celebrate the holidays, too. This is Vito Mazza, your cash flow specialist with Kinem.com. I remember my first Q4 as a sales manager when one of my teammates came to a meeting after Thanksgiving and was very emotional as he explained that a business owner who had tested our system in early November had already gotten paid from two debtors, one of which was his largest. He told my associate, thanks, this year my family will have a Christmas. I'm licensed, bonded, HIPAA compliant, and I can help your family have a great holiday too. Visit Kinnam.com forward slash Vito hyphen Mazza or call 800-850-5110. We all want to live a happy, productive life, but sometimes we just need a little help. Our Coach on Call experts provide strategies to help you live your best life now. Joining me today is Bill Resch, the founder and managing partner of The Elementary Group, a leadership coaching, development, and strategic planning consultancy that helps clients become agents of action in life and within the organizations they serve. Bill's here today to discuss how to achieve alignment in all key areas of our lives. Welcome, Bill. Thanks for joining us. Hi, Joan. It's great to be here. So, Bill, we hear so much about people wanting to achieve balance in their lives, but you believe that we should be following the principle of wholeness instead. What is the difference between balance and wholeness? Well, John, I'm glad you asked. I find lots of leaders looking for balance. It seems to be the word of the day. And what I'm finding uh, with clients is that when you're looking for balance, you're looking to uh, set up things in a correct proportion, often in equal weighting. And I think all of us in our lives and work realize that there is no true balance between work, which generally takes between 40 to 50 hours per week, per week and the rest of our lives. And so mm-hmm. in our practice, we are excited to introduce this idea of wholeness because wholeness is a form of completeness. It's a, it's actually a more harmonious style of living that works to integrate all that life has to offer as opposed to try and equally wait and kind of feel guilty about moving in and out of different key areas of our lives. Okay, then. So when seeking wholeness, what are the key areas that we should invest our time into? There's really five life domains that will lead to a more fulfilling and happy life. Those five areas include your personal life, your family life, your work or vocation, the community in which you live, and your perhaps a spiritual life. And when we're talking about your personal domain, we're talking about pies. We're talking about your physical wellness, your intellectual growth, your emotional health, and your spirituality. When you're talking about uh, your families, it's pretty simple, but we're thinking about our marriages. We're talking about our siblings, we're talking about our parents and the children, the the most intimate areas of our lives. I think work people understand as your primary domain or vocation. The community areas, the spheres we have influence. It could be our neighborhood or the cities in which we live, uh, in any area in which you have a positive impact in the world. And the spiritual domain is an area in which we might have common uh, worldview with others in the world around us. So how do you advise we get started? 
Yes, I, I have talked uh, before about uh, finding uh, time to reflect and pause on life in order to go faster. And through that principle of slowing down and reflecting, it's fairly easy to find uh, areas that we may be lacking. And so if you're working hard, uh, many people might use the term workaholic, uh, you are likely suffering from uh, a void in another area. And by slowing down and analyzing life, uh, by looking at each of those domains as defined, we actually can find an imbalance. When we start to slow down, we can create a plan to correct those imbalances and move life forward more intentionally. Bill, thank you so much for joining us. If you would like to learn more about this topic or Bill and his work, you can visit elementarygroup.com. And as always, to hear more from Bill, you can visit our website, cyacyl.com slash bill. Hi, this is Joan Herman. Did you know that Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life publishes a free monthly digital magazine that can be read online or emailed to your inbox? Every month, nationally recognized leaders in their field provide information to educate, inspire, and motivate you. We believe in a holistic approach to life, incorporating mind, body, and spirit. Check out a copy of 24-7 magazine, visit CYACYL.com, and be sure to tell your friends. Kelly Pickler. Too many women are losing their lives to lung cancer. It's the number one cancer killer of women in our country, and we'll need a force to defeat it. So we've joined the American Lung Association's Lung Force because it's going to take all of our collective strength to fight for better early detection and more treatments and to create new hope. Join the Lung Force and help save women's lives. Fight lung cancer in women at lungforce.org. That's it for today's show. Thank you for joining us. I hope you found the show informative. At Conversations with Joan, we believe that knowledge is power. Take what you've learned, apply it, and live your best life now. Remember that the information provided are the opinions of our guests and should never replace the advice of a professional who knows your personal situation. If you'd like more information, visit our website, cyacyl.com. That stands for Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life. While on the site, listen to past shows on demand, read our digital magazine, take part in the book club, check out our team, and be sure to follow the show on social media. Until next time, this is Joan Herman. Thanks for tuning in. General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.